You're listening to the Art of Business Podcast, part of the Art of Business Network. And I mean, and that's a big thing in business is trying to predict the trends, where it's going to go. And, you know, if we had a crystal ball, we would all be doing great. That's, yeah. that's the hardest thing to do. So if you guess correctly, you're a winner. If you guess wrong, you're a loser. So the business world is always intriguing to me to figure out how it works. You know, how the supply chains work? How does distribution work? How does, you know, retail work? Yeah. And I would look around and my mind would immediately go to, what is this area missing? What kind of a business would be good here? My partner, he's also, he's got other businesses also. So he's been in this for a little while. And uh, I'll never forget, he says, whatever you think it's going to cost you, double it. I believe that most people that enter in entrepreneurship, they're not ready for that commitment. And I mean, it's a 100% commitment. It's all day, all night, every waking minute. Uh, the first three years, I mean, not a day off, not a vacation, you know, nothing. And uh, it was work all day, go home, I'm on the computer. I mean, there was times I was working while I was eating dinner. When you go home at the end of the day and as a business owner, it's not the end of the day. It's middle of the day and anybody can do it, it really can, uh, but you gotta have the dedication to do it. The customer service is, you know, it's gotta be impeccable. It's gotta be great. Once you got that, then that person's gonna leave and they're gonna say, you guys gotta go over there. The, you know, and it, it just, it'll, the word of mouth just rolls like a snowball downhill. You're not gonna make everybody happy all the time. Uh, right. But the best thing you can try for is try to make most of the people happy most of the time. Is corporate America, when you clock out and go home, you're done. You ain't got to worry about nothing. You got to think about nothing. Uh, you get that, you know, two week vacation every year. You go on vacation. You don't have to worry about the business. Nothing like that. Um, if I'm out of the shop for a day, my phone's ringing. I've already been to the bottom. Now I want to see what the top looks like. Welcome to the Yard of Business. I'm your host, Eric Baker. I sit down with entrepreneurs right here in Dade City and the surrounding areas to find out about their backgrounds, how they built their businesses, and what their secrets for success are. Today I'm joined with Mr. Kevin West. He is the founder and owner of West Armory. They are located at 15029 US 301 in Dade City, Florida. You can also find them online at westarmory.com. Kevin is a veteran, a college graduate, an entrepreneur, a successful business owner. He's extremely charitable, a member of the Dade City Chamber of Commerce, as well as a husband, a father, and a grandfather, just to name a few. He is very experienced and knowledgeable in both life and business. He has a quiet and calm demeanor about him, and you can tell just by looking at him that his brain is always moving, always thinking about the next steps. Kevin is the type of person who just gets stuff done. He's an all-around impressive guy, and he has quite the story to tell, and we do talk about all of it. So let's start out by getting to know Kevin on a personal level. I was actually born and raised in central Ohio around Columbus. So, okay. um, you know, that's, I was there and, uh, besides military service all the way up until 2008 when we moved to Florida. Gotcha. Okay. So are you from a big family, small family, lots of brothers and sisters? I just got one brother. So, okay. um, now we do have a very large family reunion every year, uh, up North and, uh, there's about 300 people that attend that. So, oh wow. my extended family is very large. My immediate family is small, but then my kids, I have, 
five children of my own and two stepchildren. Yes, sir. So we uh, had seven kids in the house when we moved to Florida. Well, now are they all still here in Florida? Uh, no. Moved uh, around. Yeah, there's uh, one's in Maryland, uh, one's in West Virginia. Uh, the rest are here in Florida. Understood. I'm sorry, two's in Maryland. Okay, gotcha. So, so what about when you were a kid? Like, what were you into? Sports, uh, book clubs? I was, uh, well, yeah, I played football and everything. Uh, my biggest thing was tearing things apart and putting things together. That's, okay. That was what I like to do. Um, so, my, I mean, starting out, it was, you know, hobbies of like Lincoln Logs and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, building models, things like that. Um, what did you play in football? What position? Uh, played mainly linebacker. Um, oh, man. My high school, we only had 92 uh, graduating seniors in my class. Jeez. So very small school. So we, I had to play both sides of the ball, and a lot of times I had to play special teams. Yeah. So offense, because of my size, I would usually on the line if I needed to be, in, uh, but I mainly played uh, linebacker on defense. Okay, so. okay. Were you any good, man? Any, any college offers? Yeah, well, our, our team wasn't very big, so we didn't have very many running records. <laughs> <laughs> I got so, you, okay. I mean, it, you know, we was a small team. We got beat up all the time, but we played, uh, played every, you know, it was best as we can so yeah man okay i love it i love it so i played football too um so i saw on your facebook page you bought a boat recently is that right yeah, yeah okay. i bought a boat last year and working it's hard to get it out so we yeah. only have had it for a year and we've only maybe been out a half a dozen times with it so wow okay it's yeah. trying to find the time and the weather cooperating and everything to go out in the golf and go fishing is yes is, sir. it's tough Sure. You know, I, so somebody told me once what boat stands for. It stands for bust out another thousand. That's about it. <laughs> I've never owned a boat, but are they yeah. expensive to fix, I guess? Uh, well, as long as they're under warranty, it's not. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, we the last time we went out, we uh, put it in the water and... Um, like I said, there's probably 20, 30 hours on the boat. Starter went out of it. So yeah. we had to pull it right back out of the water and take it over to the marina, drop it off. Took them about three weeks just to replace the starter. Oh, man. So yeah. And then we haven't had it back in the water since. And that was about a month ago. <laughs> okay. So you, you like to go fishing and diving. Yes. Is that primarily what you use the boat for? Um, fishing, yes. Okay. Um, we don't do much diving off the boat because whenever we take it out, everybody wants to go fishing. Yeah. So um, diving, you got to have, you know, two divers. Uh, a buddy of mine, he's uh, actually he's either in Costa Rica or he's on his way back from Costa Rica, one or the other right now. So me and him's uh, we're diving buddies. We go uh, the rest, you know, my immediate family. I don't have any other certified divers yet, so I got someone that are interested in it. But yeah, okay. So so where do you like to go fishing? Out in the Gulf, um, wherever. I mean, there's a whole bunch of water out there. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I got friends that'll give me, you know, some GPS coordinates. We'll go there fish for a while. Um, you know, we just we go out to have fun. Yeah, man. Just to be out on the bay and yeah, out, out actually on the Gulf, not the bay. Yeah. So it just you know just go out fish, have fun, and relax. Yes, sir. Any uh, interesting fishing stories ever? Ever that one that got away or that one that you actually caught? Or? No. <laughs> Um, just, you know, ever fall off the boat. It, it, it was about that big. Um, no, yeah. we haven't had nobody fall off the boat yet. Um, I mean, it just, we did get stranded once we had to wait for the tide. Um, but that's, that's an embarrassing story there. Um, went out to, uh, when I put out through a new, uh, channel and, uh, the channel markers, you know, they're not that great. Some of them are falling down. Some are missing. Well, I missed the channel marker, got outside the channel. We got hung up and the tide was going out. 
and we got stuck there for about six hours. <laughs> okay. So, uh, the wife was mad at me and uh, about that one. Uh, since then, I made sure that I study the charts very well, make yeah. sure I know the tides very well, the yeah. weather very well, make sure I'd got everything down before we even head out. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I love it, man. So, so what about diving? You just got certified recently? Oh, no. I've been certified for a few years now. Okay, um, okay. Uh, but we mainly, we dive, we've been diving freshwater a lot more than salt. Um, you know, uh, devil's den, uh, blue grotto, you know, those ones are, they're always fun to dive. So, you know, I don't, same thing with boating and fishing. I don't get to go out a whole bunch, so I wish I could dive every weekend, but, uh, just, you know, running a business does take a lot of time. Yeah. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So speaking of blue grotto, that's something I've seen on your Facebook page. Um, you were 104 feet down. Yeah. Is that the farthest down you've ever been? Okay. So yeah, the bottom of blue grotto, I think is, uh, I think they actually have it officially listed as 106. Okay. Uh, our depth meter only went about 104, but I was still probably two feet above the bottom. But yeah, we's, uh, we's over a hundred feet. Yeah. That's not claustrophobic uh, for you. You don't, you don't have that the claustrophobic no, feeling. <laughs> don't, have, don't have that fear in me yeah. yet. So, yeah. but, uh, yeah, my, uh, buddy that, uh, I that I dive with, he does a lot of cave diving too. So, oh man. So how'd you get into diving? And just, I've always wanted to do it. Um, we, uh, back in Ohio, Back in high school, we had a um, an indoor swimming club there, and they had diving classes there. And I took an intro to the class back then, and they had a like a pit, and it was a 16 foot feet deep just pit, so they would train divers on. So uh, ever since being in high school and seeing that there, I've always wanted to dive. I just never had the money or opportunity to do that. So once we got down in Florida and I found some time, I got my certifications and I tried to dive as much as possible, which is not very much. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so do you have any, um, you know, fun stories from diving or, uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm bored in that aspect. No, that's okay, uh, man. That's all right. You know, I mean, I, I do want to plan a trip to go over to the East coast, um, and do, uh, uh, megalodon shark tooth hunting oh wow so, that sounds fun yeah, okay so if i can ever get some time to do that that's that's on my to-do list anyway. yeah okay man awesome so now you served in the military was it back in 1990 yes uh, you served from 90 to 93 okay and you were in the u.s army correct correct okay perfect and you were stationed in was it folda yeah. am i saying that correctly Fol- yeah folda germany okay now how long were you there was it the, the full yeah. three years uh, well besides basic ait and everything i got shipped straight over to folda yes, and sir. i served my tour there um that was 93 clinton was in office and he downsized the military at that time so they actually shut down folda oh. so the 11th acr was completely shut down and we packed everything and left um at that time they was uh my MOS was overcrowded from what they were saying and they offered me an early out. So I had, uh, four years of my six year enlistment, but then they gave me a bonus to get out. So gotcha. I, uh, I, instead of going to Fort Bragg for my next duty station for the next year and a half, I believe it was, I just went ahead and went home at that time. Yes, sir. Understood. So what was your primary role? I was a helicopter crew chief and an AO, which is an aerial observer. So okay. I was a, basically an aerial scout for the, uh, 11th armored cav. You can find a helicopter then. We sat left front seat, yes. Um, I wasn't a certified pilot by the military means, but being in the front seat, the pilots taught me the basics and everything. So if something would happen to them, I could get us either back home or on, at least on the ground safely. Okay, right on. So could you do that now, still today, do you think? Uh, I should be able to. <laughs> we, can, we can try. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I seen on your Facebook page that you do a fair amount of fundraising and donating to different charities and things across the community. So one of the things I found was Scotty D Charities. So Kevin, what are some of the charities and causes that you donate to here in the community and kind of what got you motivated to get involved? Um, well, being a small business owner, we, we like to support our community. Um, I try to shop small businesses whenever I can instead of going to, you know, the big box stores or anything else like that. Um, Scotty D is a great guy. Um, they do a lot of things for the kids. Um, so we, you know, donate to them personally. Um, as for West Armory, we donate to the little leagues. Um, oh my gosh, I didn't even think of all of them. Um, almost anybody that comes in looking for it. We just sponsored a uh, firefighter run. Uh, well, we didn't sponsor, but we donated some stuff to them. Um, not always can we donate thousands of dollars or anything like that, but uh, we do try to, you know, donate to especially like veterans and kids and things like that in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did sponsor the, um, the Sever Hills Museum, Military Museum. We're sponsoring their event coming up uh, Veterans Day weekend where they're, they're going to have live tanks and everything there and yeah uh, so it's a veteran thing it's uh, absolutely free to the public so there's no cost to it so we decided to jump in with them and help them with that awesome um we also you know we do all kinds of things with the uh, the friends of the nra the ducks unlimited national wild turkey foundation mm-hmm. um you know you, uh, we're partners with uscca so you know there's if it's, it has to do with you know firearm shooting things like that we're yeah. we're more have to jump into it a little bit quicker um, military veterans, um, I myself and my business partner, you know, we're both veterans. I got a bunch of veterans that work for me. So, you know, we're big on the veteran thing. Yes, sir. Um, but, uh, you know, giving back to the community, uh, we're in a position to where we have that ability. So we are using that ability to help out, you know, on the, on the community side of it. Yeah, I love it. I, I love that, man. I love it so much. So the the Trilby Masonic Lodge recently, I believe back in February, awarded you for your dedication and service to the community. Yeah. They what did. was it like to get that award, man? Uh, it was a shocker. I mean, I, was, <laughs> I didn't expect it at all. They just they came to the shop there and and gave me it. I mean, and, you know, it, that's that's the ones that mean the most the ones that you don't expect. Yeah. Uh, and they just kind of totally blindside you. I mean, I yeah. was dumbstruck. I didn't know what to say or anything. I just kind of. <laughs> Yeah. You know, that was, it was very nice of them. Um, you know, we do help them out, you know, with the events and things like that and sponsoring, you know, gun raffles, things like that for them. So that was, uh, yeah, it was, you know, neat little award. They gave me a little yeah. crystal trophy type thing. Yes, and sir. It's on display at the shop and, you know, I'm pretty proud of it. Yeah. Awesome. I love it, man. I love it. So um, now you're also a big hockey fan. So you like the lightning. I seen on your Facebook page. Yes, I do. (laughs) Hockey's great. Yeah. So um, season tickets, box seats. Um, Actually, um, we just got our season tickets. Um, I was going to buy them personally, but um, I let the business buy them because we're there's 44 games in a season. There's uh, the hockey schedules very lengthy. Um, and I, I can't go to all 44 games. I'm lucky if I can go to four or five a year. Yeah. So we, uh, we decided to let West Army buy the tickets and we're giving away tickets to the games. Now. Nice. And they're not just, you know, bleed nosebleed tickets where we have, <clears throat> they're in the club level, which is the full catering full. That's your yeah. drinks are free. Your food is free. Yeah. So we got a pair of tickets for this season, uh, 44 games and we're going to be giving a bunch of them away 
Nice. Okay. That's awesome. So what about football? So you, I, you played football and right. I seen something on your Facebook page about Ohio State. Well, you know, I, I was born in Columbus. So, yeah. So I'm a Buckeye fan. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Being in Florida, it's kind of, there's a lot of Ohio State fans down here. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, uh, my brother actually worked at the Ohio State University as an electrician for quite a number of years before they um, subcontracted all that work out. So uh, he ended up getting laid, laid off there. So. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, um, college ball I like. Um, I'm not too big on pro ball, but I do like the Buccaneers. Uh, yeah, same here. You got you to like the Buccaneers. Um, so uh, it's just college just seems like it's more, I uh, know what to say. It's, yeah. They're not playing for a paycheck. Not yet. They're anyway. playing to earn a paycheck. Yeah. So they play with a little more heart, you know. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the NIL yeah. stuff might change all of that, though. Have you, have you kept up with what's going on lately with nah, the name, image, follow. and likeness? Jeez, it's it's crazy. So anyway, we could talk about an hour for that. Um, <laughs> all right. So in 2015, you graduated from Pasco Hernando State College. Yes. So what do you study there? Um, I just I just got an associate in arts. Okay, gotcha. Uh, I was actually planning to go and get my bachelor's in education. Oh, okay. So um, I was going to be a teacher. Um, I did an intern uh, and changed my mind. Really? Uh, what happened? Public schools right now, the way that they're structured, I did not like it at all. And being a veteran and being how I am, I could see that that was not the career for me. Yes, sir. Um, so at that point, I was going to switch over to go back to my original plan, which was mechanical engineering, electrical engineering. Jeez. And, but then the opportunity came to start West Armory uh, shortly after that. So that's that's what I ended up doing instead. Let's now start talking about West Armory. So you officially opened back in, was it July of 2017? July 3rd, 2017. Awesome. Okay. So I pulled this directly from your website. West Armory offers expert training, concealed carry certification classes, a state-of-the-art gun range, along with firearms, ammunitions, and accessory sales. So Kevin, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about West Armory. Um, yeah, uh, starting out the training, um, we do do concealed weapon classes. We do do individual training sessions. Um, that's, you know, somebody just wants to come in and they want to increase their skills, you know, to get better at shooting, you know, we take care of that. Um, we also do, uh, HR 218, uh, recertification for retired law enforcement. We also do, uh, the, uh, security G license, which is the armed security requalification, uh, we're not doing the actual security classes yet, but we're hoping that's down the road. Um, the uh, range itself is state of the art. It's a um, wireless carrier system. Uh, the targets, turnkeys. Uh, it was a major investment, but we decided to go with the much more expensive one to offer you know better range experience for our customers. Mm -hmm. We do have a, a simulator that's got about a. I think it's about a 12 foot screen and it puts you in scenarios of shoot or don't shoot. We use special, you know, firearms that shoot a little laser out instead of real ammunition. Yes, sir. Um, the, uh, the store itself, we have about 5,000 square feet of retail space. Um, we have, uh, right now probably $1.5 million of inventory. Wow. So, I mean, there's, you know, we have quite a lot. Yeah. 
we have everything from about a you know two three hundred dollar gun or even less all the way up to the most expensive gun we have in the store right now is a ten thousand dollar fn249 okay gotcha so. okay right on me wow so you opened in 2017 what happened next and i'm assuming you just took off like a rocket ship no, no problems at all right we didn't take off like a rocket ship but um we we had our initial surge we opened in july so the last part of that 2017 was actually pretty good we ended with christmas you know which is always good for retail uh with a good note um 2018 we just kind of was just you know on a just a steady cruise uh we weren't speeding or anything we just kind of cruising through 2018 and 2019 actually got kind of bad um we in the entire gun industry it had a bad downturn so we struggled quite a bit in 2019 uh 2020 came with COVID, um, that kind of increased everything a little bit, but what really happened was the defund the police. Once they announced defund the police, everybody started panicking. Well, that created major shortfalls across the market. So, and one of the key things about business is you gotta try to tell the future. And that's, that's the hardest thing to do. So if you guess correctly, you're a winner. If you guess wrong, you're a loser. So uh, me and my partner, we discussed it very thoroughly multiple times, and we took the gamble of investing in a lot of ammunition, a lot of guns, but we had no idea of whether this was going to work or not. Well, it worked out great for us. We were the heroes this time. Um, everybody else in the area was out of ammunition, out of guns, and we had it. I mean, we had people driving from Georgia, from Gainesville, really? from Pensacola, um, uh, let's see. Some of the places I remember is uh, Destin, uh, Panama City, Jeez. Um, Jacksonville, uh, Cape Coral, mm-hmm. uh, over on the East Coast was uh, Daytona Beach. So, I mean, we drew from everywhere. I mean, our phones are blowing up. People are calling, I heard you got ammo. Yeah. Yes, we do, you know. So, um, we did have to make some adjustments in the store at that time to limit quantities so we could try to spread and make sure everybody got some ammo. Sure. Um, you know, it's kind of like the when the toilet paper thing happened. You know, yeah. everybody's running around looking for toilet paper. Well, yep. we had to limit, you know, and we hated doing that because especially when somebody drives down from Jacksonville and wants, you know, to buy a thousand rounds of ammo, and we're like, no, you can only buy a hundred rounds. So, yeah. Uh, you know, it, we're in the business to sell and make money and you know, yes, I want to sell you a thousand rounds, but you got to understand I'm trying to make sure all of my customers have that opportunity for sure. So, you know, some people got mad about it. Other people understood it. Um, you know, it was just one of them things at the time where almost everybody was doing it. <laughs> so, um, it just, from there, we got established we got our name out everybody heard of us everybody knew that okay if i need something the chances are they're going to have it better than anybody else Mm -hmm. so we increased our customer base almost double we went from about a ten thousand customer base to over a twenty thousand customer base wow so in just a very short period now that cruising along that we were doing beforehand that was at about 20 mile an hour we're cruising along now at about 50 mile an hour so now the spikes have happened and everything's done so everything's calmed back down but now we're we're cruising at a, a better speed uh 
and I love using the metaphors because there's the best way to explain it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so as we did that, you know, now we're established, we're well known. We have a lot of very dedicated customers. Um, one of the things is, is we were, we're only five years old. If you go on Google, we have over a thousand reviews with a 4.9 rating. Yeah. Um, I've seen that. now it's a 4.9. You're not going to please everybody. Uh, if you look at the one stars, you kind of read them and then you read all the rest of them. You're like, you know, what was this yeah. guy thinking? But, but anyway, they're, they're open to their opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had all five stars and everybody would think I'm, you know, something's going on, but, yeah. uh, you know, I, I express and let everybody, you know, give their opinion honestly, and I don't expect anything else. Yes, sir. So, you know, if you've got something bad to say, you know, if you want to put a one star, that's fine. Yeah. But also come to me and give me an opportunity to make it right, you know? So, and then a lot of people, they don't want to do that. You know, they just, you know, I'm done with you. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, one of the guys was because we enforce, you know, some of our rules, you know, he, you know, didn't like it. And, you know, he didn't think it should have been, Yeah, the rule shouldn't pertain to him anyway. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> you always get those kind of people that, you know, they want to, they want to, the rules are okay for everybody else, but I'm different. I'm special. You know, I spent, yeah. you know, $2,000 here, you know, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but you know, all the rules apply to all the people, no matter what you spend. For sure. For sure. Um, those rules are in place to make it better for all of our customers, to make it safe for our customers. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to alleviate from those rules just because you think I should. Yeah, so. absolutely. So Kevin, I'm curious. So what, what were some of the indicators back then that made you feel comfortable taking that big of a gamble? Um, politically is politic politics is the biggest thing in our industry because, you know, it's always about, you know, the firearms and people wanting to ban firearms or, you know, restrict them or, you know, control them or something like that. The, you know, your liberals, uh, you know, they're, they're always wanting to, excuse me, take, um, take those away from us. So once they start doing that, um, and they're looking at, you know, banning a certain weapon or a certain ammunition. <clears throat> People want to go out and buy those. Sure. So it creates a demand. Um, if demand demand's too high, then, you know, of course, supply runs out, supply and demand increases prices, things like that. Um, we ran into this a few years ago with uh, 22 ammunition. Um, there was a big influx of new shooters into the industry, um, just, you know, sport target shooting, things like Mm -hmm. that. So the 22 ammunition is the cheapest. The guns are the cheaper, they're cheaper on the cheaper side, I should say. Uh, and it created a huge demand. Well, with that demand became, you know, the supply didn't, wasn't able to keep up with it. Um, one of the uh, weapon or the ammunition manufacturers I spoke to said that in order to produce a completely new line to manufacture 22 ammo would take them about a year to two years to build it. And it was so expensive. It takes them like almost 10 years to even break even because the ammunition on 22 was so cheap at the time. Oh, okay. So, okay. You know, so in other words, the manufacturers aren't planning on building new production lines. Right. So we only have so much production. Yeah. So with an influx of shooters and a higher demand for ammunition, now our supply can't meet our demand. So that caused, you know, shortages of ammunition. It caused the prices of ammunition to go up and things like that. So seeing that before, when we started getting into the COVID and 
the COVID really wasn't a big scare, uh, but it did have an increase in impact on our business. Um, this was still under Trump. So once, you know, we're under Republicans, they're not, people aren't as scared for their guns or their rights or anything like that. So once we got into the COVID, there was, um, the mass shootings always trigger people because they want to be able to defend themselves. So anytime there's a, you know, a mass shooting or something like that, or a shooting in somebody's area that kind of gets them motivated to go ahead and make the trip to the gun shop, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, it's a bad thing because it's using people's fears. Sure. But, um, you know, it is also a good thing, but it makes them realize that I need something to protect myself. For sure. So once the, uh, you know, the COVID hit and everything else like that, they're starting to see, you know, a lot of military presence at the check stations and things like that. So it kind of spooked a lot of people. So it brought some out. Uh, then we had the riots. And then once the riots hit and then they started talking about defunding the police. That threw a big panic into everybody in the country. Um, you know, so if there's no police to protect you, who's going to protect you? So everybody's like, I need to protect myself. So now I want a gun and I want to be able to protect myself. Yeah. So this put a massive strain on the gun industry. And it was right at the beginning of this is when we was trying to figure out, okay, is this going to be short-lived? Is this going to be long-term? Um, it's kind of coincided with the COVID. Um, so we kind of figured that it's going to ride for a little while. Mm-hmm. And we need to be prepared to, you know, best serve our customers when they come in and they need ammo. Yeah. You know, it's basically becoming a, a life-saving necessity at this point sure. for most people. Yeah. So we we took that gamble and invested heavy. Yeah. And um we brought in as much inventory as we could get our hands on and we blew through it like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Um, now the biggest problem was, was prices were skyrocketing. Um, we lost money on a lot of things, a lot of ammunition. Uh, we were selling it for less than we were paying for it because we wanted to make sure that we had it, mm. uh, for everybody. And we wanted to be fair about the pricing. Sure. So we, we took a hit. Um, our profit margins shrunk greatly. Um, <laughs> even though I was selling three, four, five times the inventory, mm-hmm. our profits weren't three, the matching three or four or five times bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, they may only go up two to three times where we're <laughs> selling five times as much materials. Sure. So by doing that and having the fair pricing and not gouging people, we got that reputation of being the good place to go. And we still do that today. I mean, we try to keep our prices as fair as we can. Um, You know, we have a big competitor with the Internet because, you know, ammunition's all over the Internet. So we are constantly monitoring that and trying to stay, you know, as even as we can with them without giving up too much. Mm-hmm. Because we still got to try to make some money. I still got, you know, 10 employees. I got to make sure that they get paid and everything else. Make sure yeah. the lights are staying on so we can stay <laughs> in operation. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that gamble that we took at that time paid off. And I mean, and that's a big thing in business is trying to predict the trends, where it's going to go. And, you know, if we had a crystal ball, we would all be doing great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, on the flip side, you know, if we did do it wrong, we would have lost even more money because had it been short lived, we would have had a lot of this ammo that we paid a lot of money for, but we couldn't sell it for that. So we would have taken a heavy loss. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying is business is a lot of gambling. Yeah. Yes, for sure. um, You know, trying to 
trying to foresee that. Like I said, you can either be the hero or you can be the zero. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. Okay, Kevin. So what was your motivation for wanting to sort of leave corporate America and do your own thing and open your own business? Um, I've always thought about my own business, um, for years. Uh, I mean, starting back in the nineties, I would, uh, I would, I would see an area and I would look around and my mind would immediately go to what is this area missing? What kind of a business would be good here? Um, my biggest thing was I didn't have no money. Um, back then I was broke, you know, I live in paycheck to paycheck and everything else like that. So even though I could see a need in the community, or, you know, in the area, mm -hmm. um, I didn't have the money to act upon it. Uh, so I started learning about businesses just in my spare time, you know, about what it took, what kind of businesses there were, um, you know, what kind of licensing tax laws, just, I mean, I learned that stuff in my spare time that, you know, I, I would just get on something. I would think of something and I would just think how, how could I do that? So then I would research it and just kind of try to figure out about it. Mm -hmm. Um, never acted upon it, but, uh, I always had that sense in my mind of trying to figure out how everything works. That goes all the way back to when I was a kid and I loved to take things apart because I wanted to know how it worked. So the business world was always intriguing to me to figure out how it works. You know, how the supply chains work, how does distribution work, how does, you know, retail work. And I've always had that in my mind. I've always had the thought of going out on my own. Um, back in the late 90s, um, it didn't take a lot of money, so I started my own little uh, contractor business. Um, I, did, I did pretty good for a little while, um, but it was being a small, just me, uh, I would only hire the guys as I needed. So they were doing basically side jobs. So once it started to where I needed them more often, it was very difficult because I couldn't take them on full time because I had this job today, but I had no jobs for tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was very difficult for me to, to get workers that I could depend on in an irregular period. Mm -hmm. So that ended up faltering on my part because I just didn't have the financial backing to bring employees on, on a full-time basis. So, um, besides that, uh, I've always, like I said, I always had that little drive to just kind of get there on my own and, you know, to prove that I could do this on my own. Mm -hmm. So, um, I met my business partner and, uh, he had, uh, you know, I'm very familiar with the gun industry, uh, and things like that. I had the the contacts, the channels, everything set up. Uh, when we talked about it, I already had a business plan written up. Uh, we we did I did some demographics and everything else like that. You know, figuring out what areas. Um, I I predict predicted that Dade City is going to be growing because you know Wesley Chapel's expanding. There, it's all coming north. So we was trying to find a good spot to put up in you know in around Dade City. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's pretty much how we got going anyway. Okay. So um, what made you decide on a gun range? I mean, it's probably the obvious, but what made you ultimately decide on a, on a gun store and a range? Well, our first, uh, our first plan was just to open a gun store, just like in a strip mall, small, just, but everybody's got those everywhere. Um, and looking at it, just selling firearms and ammunition, you're, you're not going to make it. There's just not enough profit in that kind of a business. Uh, the margins are very low in firearms okay. because of the online marketing and stuff. Um, 
So we kind of thought, okay, we need to have another source of revenue besides just guns and ammo. Okay. So we looked around at buildings. Um, then we decided, okay, if we're going to do something, we're going to have to, we really didn't want to go into the pawn side of it, which, you know, we don't want to be a pawn shop. We want to be a gun shop. Yes, sir. Um, so we threw the idea of range out there and, um, I started doing my right research and everything and went from the cheapest range to the most expensive range and trying to figure out where we wanted to be. Uh, the biggest thing was, uh, establishing our budget for opening. Uh, how much money we was going to put into inventory, how much money we was going to put into the range, how much money we was going to put into the building, mm-hmm. um, and trying to predict everything. So, uh, my partner, he's also, he's got other businesses also. So he's been in this for a little while and, uh, I'll never forget. He says, whatever you think it's going to cost you double it. Mm. He says, it's always at least double. Mm. So my initial numbers came up to about 300,000. So I'm like, okay, so if we lost 600,000, we should be good. Well, we actually came up to right around a million dollars. Wow. So, um, you know, doing all that stuff, trying to figure out everything and what everything's going to cost and trying to set down a budget, ironclad budget, it just, you know, it doesn't always work as per se. Sure. Uh, There's always unexpected stuff. Um, Just like our licensing for West Armory. we have to have an FFL, which is the Federal Firearms License. We have an SOT, which is our special operating tax to deal with suppressors. We have like the Dade City business tax. We have the Pasco County tax. We have their um, our Florida business license, uh, our resale certificates, our you know fire inspections. We, I mean, there's a whole mm-hmm. wall of licenses that we have. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to figure out every one of those and everything like that. Like um, later this week, I got to go down to the city department to have a meeting about our permit so we can remodel our classroom. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, it's just, it's one of the things that there's all kinds of unexpected stuff. You know, we submit a plan and they say, you know, well, you get, you will approve it, but you got to do these things first. So then Mm -hmm. now you got to step back and go back and do these other things, which cost you time and money before you can go and do your original thing. So that's all those little hidden costs and and business. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, so getting to that point, um, it was it was tough. Um, Sure. Like I said, we I originally planned out about three hundred thousand. The range itself, we decided to. A lot of the change was our fault. We decided to go ahead and do the better range instead of the cheaper range. So you know, some of the things that we did we intentionally increased our budget amount uh, that we did not allow for. So, you know, some of the things we had control over, some of the things, you know, we didn't have control over. So, but a big majority of it, some of it, you know, we had control over and we went ahead and decided to do the better thing now to spend the money now sure. rather than, you know, you know, put in a hundred thousand dollar range first and then upgrade it to a $500,000 range later. So right. now we got 600,000 in So we just went ahead and did the $500,000 range and be done with it right off the bat. Gotcha. So you've talked about all the licensing and certifications. How did you go about finding out what all you had to have? Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of research. Um, uh, a really good source is other businesses. Um, you know, and a lot of times businesses don't like to talk to other people about their business. So you usually got to go outside of your area. So if you're outside of your market area where you, they know you're not going to be there, um, you know, setting up those connections and those contacts, um, it's, you know, that's 
quintessential to business. So having those outside contacts outside of your home area, then they're more apt to talk to you. Um, like uh, when we was looking at our point of sale system, uh, I had three or four different ones I was looking at. And I asked them, I was like, can you give somebody that has your system that I can talk to, you mm -hmm. know? So then I would call to, you know, New York or, you know, the Carolinas or Idaho or something like that, to somebody that had that system. And, you know, I would, you know, introduce myself and, you know, Hey, I'm looking at this system. They tell you, have it. I'm in Florida. You know, would you mind talking to me? And, you know, I got the door shut in my face a few times, you know, no, we don't have the time to talk to you, but I did get, eventually get some people that I would talk to me about them and I got their opinions about it and things like that. Hmm. <clears throat> As for the licensing and everything, um, it's research. Um, you know, everybody knows you got to have a resale certificate and a business, you know, license and everything like that. But, you know, if you're dealing with anything like we we're dealing with firearms, now you have, you know, the, the federal license to deal with fire alarms. Then you have the SOT, which is your special operating tax to deal in NFA items, which is like suppressors and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's you got to you got to know your business you got to do your research on your business and and even the area that you're in may require additional licensing like see we're in the city of Dade City so we have to have a Dade City uh tax sure. license mm -hmm. um and i mean it's only like $6 a year it's not expensive but you have to have it mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it's all these little things that you got to put all together and just do the research you know you got to go down to the you know the city building or you know go to the county mm -hmm. and you know say hey i'm looking at this kind of a business you know what do i got to do um, like for us, when we was talking to Dade City, they didn't know how to classify us. They've had pawn shops with guns, but they never had a gun shop. So they didn't even have a classification for our business. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of the things that, you know, sometimes you run into things like that where they don't even know what to do for you. Mm -hmm. So they had to create us a classification and everything. Um, one of the things is, is setting up with people like that and doing that, you got to kind of keep pushing them and make sure you stay in contact with them mm -hmm. to make sure that, you know, they go ahead and get it done because yeah. it's very easy for them to forget what they're doing mm -hmm. or to get onto something else and forget you. Mm -hmm. So, um, but you catch, uh, more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. So, Absolutely. uh, being nice, courteous, you know, you know, being personable and friendly, um, it, it helps a lot. Sure. <laughs> so. Sure. So I find it interesting. So you're not the first person to say this on the podcast. So you, you reached out to another business outside of the area who does the exact same thing as you and you asked them for advice and they were willing to help you out. Yes. It's rare to find it, but when you do find it, it's a, it's a good contact to have. Yes. How many, how many different gun stores and ranges did you have to call to find one that was willing to help oh, you? Oh, I don't know. Um, dozens at least really so yeah most of the time if, if the operation is too big and they have a corporate structure um you're not going to get anybody anyway you got to look for the the small business owners and things like that yeah. um a lot of small business owners have the same mentality uh some of them are just you know leave me alone i ain't going to help you because you may come here and hurt me um now, uh, we have a good relationship with the other gun stores in our area here, um, you know, like uh, Dow Arms Room uh, here in Dade City. Um, we have uh, Old Time Gun on, uh, in Brooksville and mm. old, old 
time gun on 52, sorry, an old timer's gun in Brooksville. Okay. <laughs> I always get him confused. Uh, yeah. Bullseye Gun Shop. Uh, he's a really great friend of mine. Um, we interact. Uh, if they're if they need something or I need something, they'll call me and ask me if I have it so they can send their customer to me to buy it. If I have it and they want it right now, um, we'll do the same in re, you know, return with them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's even though we're in the same industry, we're far enough apart that we're not really stepping on each other's toes or hurting ourselves. Sure. And by helping them, they're going to help us too. Yeah. So, you know, being more open now, if there's a gun shop next door to us, you know, I might be a little bit more <laughs> reluctant to share information or customers yeah. with them, but sure. you know, in the next town over or things like that are on the other side of the County, you know, we try to keep those good relationships with, you know, are like businesses. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So did they help you finding suppliers and where to go about getting the guns and and ammunition and things? The finding the suppliers, I pretty much had that being in the industry already. So I I had the suppliers. I had that part of it down. Okay. Um, My things was the actual operations. Okay. Um, now like the range, I had to do all the research on my own. I I didn't get any help with that from anybody, Mm. um, because we wanted something kind of unique to our area. Mm. So it was a lot of research. Okay. So, you know, some things you can get some help with some things is just, you know, a lot of research. Gotcha. So, so how do you decide what to put for sale on the floor and what to kind of pass on? Um, well, in the beginning, it's kind of a guess, and that's where that crystal ball would come in handy. Um, <laughs> after a while, you get to know your area, you get to know your demographics, you get to know your customer base and what they like. You can watch your trends on what's selling, what's not selling. Uh, and as that's working, then you kind of adjust your inventory to those levels. Um, we have a very good customer base that likes a lot of the collector guns. So we get them in quite often, as much as we can. So, you know, it's just in the beginning, it's tough unless you're already in that business in the area and you kind of have an idea. Um, so you kind of have to open it up broad and have what they call is a broad, shallow inventory instead of a narrow, deep inventory. Sure. So now as you go on and progress, your inventory becomes more narrow and becomes deeper. Yes, sir. So it's one of them things that you just got to listen to your customers and trends will change. Like, uh, we'll be on a, you know, a spell where there's a lot of like AR 15s being sold because, you know, of whatever, you know, a shooting or they want to ban it or something like that. And then all of a sudden it'll flip into personal protection weapons. Mm. So, and these flips will happen like on a dime. Uh, we just, we'll be selling like ARs, ARs, ARs all week long. And then all of a sudden they'll stop and we'll sell like one a week (laughs) and, uh, you know, and the handguns will be very rare. And then all of a sudden we're selling a bunch of them all at once. So Mm -hmm. those trends, you know, we can't predict those. We're not, we don't know when they're going to change, but we know what guns are popular in both those aspects. So we keep that inventory on hand. Sure. So they, when they do switch, we're already prepared for it. Yeah. And then once we do see this trend switch and we, you know, we adjust our inventory ordering, uh, as such. Yeah. It makes sense. Perfect. Now, Kevin, you've mentioned multiple times here, uh, your business partner. Um, and when I, when I met you that day, you had talked about how he helps with some funding and some mentoring and things like that. So I'm just curious, how did you go about finding him? Well, actually, um, uh, I ran into him, um, at my old store he was a customer. Um, we started talking. We actually hit it off, became friends. Um, and, uh, you know, 
it just, I mean, it, it just, it was a friendship that grew. Um, I would sell him guns. He would buy guns. Uh, then, uh, just out of the blue, you know, he kind of mentioned it. So I kind of thought about it for a while and I didn't approach him right away. So I went up and I finished my business plan that I had. <clears throat> and, uh, and then I got a hold of him and I said, you know, hey, you know, are you serious about a gun store? Because if you are, I have a business plan. So he's like, okay, you know, so I went over to his house. We met and I showed him the plan, laid it out. And, uh, you know, it was for a gun, small gun shop. I wasn't thinking of building something nearly as huge as what we built. Um, so we discussed it and everything else like that. And, uh, we went from there and, you know, so we, uh, my first meeting with him was in, um, February of 2017. We opened our doors July 3rd of 2017. So Jeez, yeah. it went from a figment of imagination to an open store in six months. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. Awesome. So, so you first opened. So when you first opened, how did you go about advertising and marketing? Like, how did you get people in the door? Uh, that's, that's the toughest thing in the world right there is you can open a door, but if you don't have people coming through, you're not going to be there long. Um, <clears throat> we tried all kinds of advertisement, uh, and for the area, we didn't know what was going to work. Uh, we started with billboards, uh, we did print ads. Um, we even put out a mailer, which those are expensive by the way. Uh, so we email or put out a mailer to every address within a 10 mile radius. Um, cost us like $12,000. So yeah, it was very expensive. Uh, got a few upset people, um, <laughs> because, uh, they sent it to the mailing address for the public records. And, you know, one of the, one lady that called, uh, it was her husband, then the house was still in her husband's name and we mailed it to her husband and she was mad. Mm. Oh, but she was mad. <laughs> so, um, you know, getting into that, we weren't seeing, for our business, we weren't seeing any really return on print ads. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a little bit of reaction to the billboards. Um, the mailer didn't have that much. Uh, we started email marketing. Uh, so, I, you know, I purchased some email lists for our areas for, you know, like hunters and things like that. We did get a little bit of response from them. Um, we did uh, radio was our best thing. Uh, we're still actually doing radio right now. No, we only got a couple smaller stations, no major stations or anything like that. Um, but our best advertisement in the world is word of mouth. Uh, once we got that established and once we started spreading, it spread like wildfire. Yeah. Um, there's not a day that goes by that somebody comes in and says, Hey, my friend told me to come here. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there'd be people coming in from Pennsylvania and they said, you know, my dad lives down here. He says, when we come down, we got to go in to here. So that word of mouth is is very vital. So and to get that word of mouth, you got to have great customer service. You got to have people like you. You got to have people want to come to your store. So that's one of the things that I've taught my crew is to you know somebody comes in the door, we welcome them right off the bat. Mm -hmm. We help them as best we can. You know, we're friendly. We don't you know we don't say anything bad. We don't get in any arguments. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know. The customer is always right type of philosophy. Um, they're not always right. And if they, <laughs> especially with firearms, because if you're not right with a firearm, it can get you hurt. Yeah. So yeah, if, yeah. if they are wrong, I, you know, you don't want to just come out and blatantly say, no, you're wrong. Forget it. Get out of here. Um, you want to explain it to them. 
why they're wrong and show them why they're wrong. You know, don't, you know, don't treat somebody like they're stupid. Okay. If they don't know, it's just because they don't know. It's not because they're stupid or anything like that. So, you know, when somebody comes in and they don't know something, we try to educate them as much as possible. So when somebody comes in and I'm looking for a gun, you know, it's, okay, how much do you know about guns? Do you know what you're looking for? And if they don't, we educate them. We, we show them the differences of the guns. We show them what, you know, what the purposes are of the gun um, and things like that. So we don't just say, you know, here, buy this one. It's the most expensive one in the gun shop. It's the best one for you. And, uh, you know, so it's one of the things that we're the customer service is, you know, it's got to be impeccable. It's got to be great. Once you got that, then that person's going to leave and they're going to say, you guys got to go over there, the, you know, and it, it just it'll the word of mouth just rolls like a snowball downhill. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. So, and, and, and so I looked at your Facebook page and you have over 7,000 followers. You've only been there for five years. So obviously, man, I mean, first of all, congrats. That's no easy feat. Thank you. So obviously, um, you're doing something right. I mean, how did you, is it probably what you just said, just providing a good experience and, and, and being honest, but I mean, how did you grow the page to 7,000 followers in five years? Uh, you would have to ask, have to ask those 7,000 people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when you're when you just try to treat people with respect when you're good to people people are naturally going to be good back to you um it's just like you know if you look at a lot of you know google reviews on other stores you know they'll have i mean i know stores that have been open for 10 years and they only have 30 40 google reviews uh, we have over a thousand. Now we do use marketing to try to get those reviews, but that marketing goes out to everybody, every customer, not mm -hmm. just select ones. Every mm -hmm. time somebody comes in there and they're a first time customer, they'll get that marketing and inviting them to give us a review. So even if it's a bad or good review, they're all going to get invited. So with us being able to do that, it, it helps that promotion. Um, when you go, a lot of people look at the reviews on Google, um, you know, especially with restaurants and things like that. Um, I've always taken them with a grain of salt because people are more likely to complain than compliment. So if you have a bad experience, you're going to, I'm going to nail them guys. I'm going to write a bad review. But if you have yeah. a good experience, you're not usually going to write it. So, you know, you're talking about a, maybe a 70, 30, or even an 80, 20 split between bad and good. So with us being at over a thousand reviews, in five years with this 4.9 rating over 7,000 followers on Facebook, uh, with a lot of good reviews there. Um, you know, it just shows that, you know, we actually really do care about our customers. Uh, we care about that, you know, friendly atmosphere and things like that. Um, yes, we're all human. We've had our issues at the store. Uh, but you know, we try to keep it to a minimum. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, we're not going to make everybody happy all the time. Um, we, one instance was we had a customer. He wanted to sell us a firearm to trade it in to buy another one. I, you know, I made him an offer, and it's an offer. You don't have to accept it. Uh, he accepted it, bought the gun, gave us a one-star review because he thought he should have got more out of his gun. But he didn't try to negotiate or anything else like that. So you know, right. it's one—it's one of the things that you don't—you don't have full control over. You're not going to make everybody happy all the time. Right. Uh, but the best thing you can try for is try to make most of the people happy most of the time. 
Yeah, for sure. So, so Kevin, I found an article written back in 2017 on PascoNewsPubs.com about your opening, and it didn't mention a gun range at that time. So I think the range came a little bit later. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we opened the store on July 3rd of 17. The range didn't open until October of 17. Okay. And so what is, so, so you've mentioned a few times now that you, you went with the gold standard with your range. So what is so good? Like what, what sets your range apart from others? Um, the, uh, the interactiveness of it, we have the targets will, instead of just being a target standing there that you're shooting at, they will actually spin, they'll turn, they'll tease, they'll Uh go to different lengths. They'll, they can charge you, they can run away from you. Okay. So, I mean, the target will do different things. So you're not just shooting at a piece of paper, hanging on a coat hanger you know mm. um so you know you can go into the little simulation part of it and tell it to go so far and it'll be hidden on you and it'll present and then it'll hide and oh, okay. so and you can actually go in and make your own program on it so that way you can say i want it to go this far i meant it to do this and then go this far and do this and then you know that's the end of my little training session you know and then you can run that multiple times or change it up or however you yeah. want to okay so um, it is, um, all of our stalls have ballistic panels on both right and left with extended blast shields to try to, you know, for the safety issues. Um, the walls are eight inch reinforced concrete solid. Um, <laughs> okay. there's about 30 inches of insulation all the way around their range mm. to, uh, keep the noise down. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it just, we just went and built a true range from the word go now it was inside of an existing building so we already had the roof and keep the keep the water off of it but everything it's like a building within the side of a building yeah um so the the range itself the equipment on it is all top-notch um wireless you know the carrier that runs down the track is actually a motorized battery computer controlled unit um we got those much distance out of the range as we could possibly get. You know, we couldn't stretch the building any further. <laughs> uh, I wish I could have. If I yeah. could have, I would have put a hundred yard range in. So um, it's just one of the things that we, when we're looking at it, we could have went with a much more expensive range. It would have kind of it would drastically cut down the cost of the startup, but you know, it wouldn't have been so inviting. So. Uh, and we're looking at that as, you know, our secondary revenue, um, you know, to bring in. Mm-hmm. So now, I mean, we had that initial investment, but, you know, it's all gross profit dollars after that. Right. Sure. So, and that's, that's the end of the day. That's what we're looking at is the, you know, the gross profit dollars. Absolutely. And what about the simulator? Yeah, it's, um, it's not as popular as I thought it was going to be. Okay. Um, we use it a lot for training. Um, but for, you know, just people coming in wanting to, you know, use it and stuff like that, it doesn't get the traffic that we were predicted it would uh, by, by any means. So it's, you know, basically it's like a big video game. Uh, you know, it's got a big screen and it'll put you in a scenario, you know, where you're, you know, out walking down the street or coming out of work or something. And all of a sudden a bad guy jumps out, you know, so it gives you, you know, how would you react? When would you react? How would you react? Right. So there's a, you know, a lot of them are, you know, a shoot, don't shoot kind of scenario. You know, do you see a weapon? Do you feel threatened? Is your life? And, you know, so Mm -hmm. it kind of helps, helps you with that, um, processing of information because, we can't predict what kind of a situation anyone would ever be in. Um, even if we knew every situation, we wouldn't be able to teach that to everybody. So it kind of gives everybody that 
that uh, mentality of being able to process the information and to make a determination of whether they should use force or not in in a situation. Mm. So, and that's one of the main things about, especially carrying a weapon and you know and things like that is, at what point should I or shouldn't I use deadly force? Sure. So, you know, by using that simulator, we can help you with the tools to be able to um, adapt to a situation and to diagnose a situation as to, you know, if somebody doesn't have that kind of skills, they won't know what to do and they may act incorrectly. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, even with all the training, you still may act incorrectly, but at least you'll have some more tools to be able to help you kind of, you know, adjust to that situation. Yeah, for sure. So, so. And you talked about this a little bit before, but so being a gun store owner, I have to imagine that you're paying close attention constantly to the media and to the politics, especially when anything Second Amendment or gun control legislation comes up. How do those things affect your business? Oh, they affect us greatly. Um, right now, uh, I just went through the House. It's uh, H.R. 1808. Um, it was passed through the house and now it's going to the Senate. Uh, that is a, um, basically a ban on assault weapons. Now the media and the liberals, they address an assault weapon as a, you know, a military looking gun, things like that. Um, the actual term assault weapon is, or assault rifle even is kind of biased. Um, if I was to take an ink pen and assault you with it, that ink pen is now an assault weapon, correct? Mm. So, you know, and what a lot of people do and what we try, one of our main things is educational people, like an, an AR-15. That AR, the media has labeled it as assault rifle, but that's not what that means. AR means Armalite rifle, which was the ones that invented and patented originally. So by them saying you know, they're going to ban assault weapons, you know, well, a hammer can be an assault weapon, uh, you know, even a stapler, you know, it just, it doesn't make sense. Uh, so now that's through the house and it's gone to the Senate. Um, their definition of assault weapon is still pretty laxed. I don't think it'll get through the Senate. Um, if it does, then it will go to the president to be signed and it will become a law. If that happens, we can't sell whatever they classify as an assault weapon, which mm. is basically 90% of our guns. Wow. So um, if the Senate was to pass it, say, they would have to probably, somebody somewhere is going to have to get a better definition of what is being banned. Um, just like this, the, H, the H.R. 1808 also says that um, magazines of a capacity of, uh, don't quote me on this one, I think it's seven or greater or eight or greater, it might even be 10. Um, they're also banning those. Now, they're grandfathering everything to where, you know, if you already have them, you're good to go, but we can't sell anymore. Uh, magazines, they're saying in this bill that they'll have to be serialized from now on. So each magazine will have a serial number and you will, will have to do a transfer on them just the same way we do as a firearm. Mm, okay, um, I see. Now, the bill also says that if you have a weapon, you may transfer it to another person. But if you have a magazine, you cannot transfer it. 
Okay. So if you, you say you have a 30 round magazine and this was to go into law, you can't get rid of that magazine. You have to keep it. Mm. So you can't give it to somebody, sell it to somebody. Now the weapons themselves, yes, you can, but they have to go through a dealer. So you'd have to bring your gun to me. I would have to take it in on my books and then transfer it to the new person. Gotcha. So it would, uh, it would eliminate all um, personal transactions of firearms. Basically. Private gun sales. Yes, completely. Like that. Yeah. I see. I got you. So, Kevin, what about future plans for West Army? You, you guys have anything coming down the pipe, or are you pretty happy with where things are? Or? Oh, well, uh, we, can, we can always do better. Um, right now, we're expanding our training. Training is the best thing for firearms uh making sure that you know everybody has their training so we're expanding on that right now um as for the building itself and everything we're always getting new products in um you know if i hear from a lot of customers you know hey i would like to see this and i'm starting to hear it often we'll bring it in and see how it does if it sells well we'll keep it in inventory if not we'll just you know let it fade out and we'll move on Mm -hmm. um as for the future of west armory um I would love to see, uh, you know, more locations. Uh, we have a lot of interest in, you know, people wanting us to go to the, you know, their areas and build over there. And, you know, so there's no lack of enthusiasm of us opening a second location. Uh, but the hardest part right now is, uh, staff. Um, for some reason it's been tough to get a good staff. I mean, we have a really good team right now, but I got to duplicate that for a second location. Sure. Um, so, you know, I'm going to have to have another, you know, eight to 10 people that I can, you know, get trained and everything to run a second location. Uh, so it's one of them things that we got to take kind of baby steps right now because we don't want to overstep, uh, start with a new location and then get stranded and then, you know, the whole thing fail. Yeah. So that second location is kind of a trick right now. Um, that's something that I'm still learning about. So and I'm still looking for those resources to kind of help guide us into, you know, that transition. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how soon or even if it will happen. Mm-hmm. But um, it's always a great thought to, you know, become a chain and, you know, become nationwide. Yeah, that's that's a great goal. But, yeah. you know, I don't know how realistic it is right now. Franchise so. out or something? <laughs> well, I have no idea about that either. So. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's we're one location right now. Um, we're doing great. Uh, it's, you know, any business wants to expand. Any business wants to get bigger. Um, you know, and it's, it's not just you know, getting bigger, it's, I want to be able to open a second location and have the same values that we have in this location. I want that great customer service. I want that, you know, one-on-one, I want people to feel relaxed and at home when they come in. Um, it's just, it's being able to duplicate that is going to be tough. Yeah. I mean, I could open another store and throw some people in there and sell some guns, but you know, is it going to have the the same values as we have right now? Right. Same company culture that you, right. that you curated here. Yeah, I, I, I get it completely. So, so I mean, Kevin, this is a question I asked literally everybody. I just want to hear you talk about it for a second. So, I mean, why Dade City? Why did you decide to open a business here in Dade City? Uh, that's a good question. Um. We looked at multiple areas. Um, 
we didn't want to get too close to Tampa because that's one of the issues with, you know, some of the gun stores in down in Tampa is the traffic and the congestion and, and everything else like that. And there are some big gun stores down there, which, you know, would be in direct competition with us. So that would have been hard for us to establish, uh, right off the bat. So we we're looking at where Tampa's growing. Uh, Tampa is expanding northward more than any other direction right now. So that's why we set our sights to the, you know, to the north. Um, we, uh, the building that we're in, um, we know the, the landlords and everything. Uh, we was able to work out a really good deal, um, you know. So it was in the area that we wanted to be. We could see the demographics are growing. I mean, they're building all kinds of housing developments all around Dade City right now. So, you know, the customer base is building. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I think it's going to continue going north. Uh, you know, so Dade city kind of fell in that category, um, between Dade city and 75. I mean, there's San Antonio, but it's, it does, I didn't have enough of a, enough of a support structure for an operation as big as we wanted. Sure. So that's, you know, we didn't want to go on to the other side of 75, you know, to the West because I mean, you got, uh, land of lakes, Wesley chapel over in that way. And, you know, that's. We're trying to stay out of that big congestion. Now, eventually, I think the congestion is going to get up here, but I don't know if it's going to be as bad as, you know, the Wesley Chapel area. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of we're, we're trying to make it as convenient as we can from both, you know, Tampa in the south, you know, Crystal River and that area up in the north. Um, you got we got Spring Hill, Brooksville in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've even drawn we're drawn from uh, <clears throat> over in uh, Masaryk Town and Gainesville. So, I mean, Lakeland, we get a lot of traffic from Lakeland. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, it's a straight shoot up 98 from Lakeland. Um, You know, so there's, we're kind of like centralized in this area. Uh, So another thing was um, you got to look at a lot of uh, manufacturers have zones for, you know, dealers. You know, if you're in a certain area and another dealer already has that product, they won't let you have it. So you got to kind of take that into consideration too. Mm-hmm. Um, Date City was wide open for almost everything we wanted. So, so it was strategic fully. Yeah, yeah I, I get it. I get it. So now, Kevin, you you've had the experience of working in corporate America, and obviously now you work for yourself. So I'm curious, what would you say are some of the differences about working for someone else as opposed to working for yourself? Uh, the biggest difference is corporate America. When you clock out and go home, you're done. You ain't got to worry about nothing. You got to think about nothing. Uh, you get that, you know, two week vacation every year you go on vacation. You don't have to worry about the business, nothing like that. Um, if I'm out of the shop for a day, my phone's ringing. Um, you know, it may be the employees from the store. It may be a distributor, you know, Hey, I just got some of this new item in. Um, I, there hasn't been a day go by that I don't talk to somebody about business. Um, when I go home, uh, the first three years were the toughest. And, uh, this is where that, you know, most small businesses fail in the first three years. That's where that comes in is I believe that most people that enter in entrepreneurship, they're not ready for that commitment. And I mean, it's a 100% commitment. It's all day, all night, every waking minute. Uh, the first three years, I mean, not a day off, not a vacation, you know, nothing. And, uh, it was work all day, go home. I'm on the computer. I mean, there was times I was working while I was eating dinner. Um, 
And it's, you know, setting up those contacts, getting that information, doing the research and everything else like that. So, you know, the first stage is getting all the information. Okay. Then you open your doors. Now you got employees and you got to worry about and everything else. So (laughs) when you go home at the end of the day and as a business owner, it's not the end of the day, it's middle of the day. So then you're going home and you're trying to think, okay, you know, I got, you know, this guy, he's going to be off next week. Do I have coverage for him? You know, I got to order some more of this stuff. I got to do this. I got to call this guy. And on top of all that, you got all your family stuff too. You know, when I go home, I got to, you know, I you know, wife wants me to change a light bulb in the bathroom or, you know, change air filters and that. So, um, I do lax on that. And I do tell my wife that, you know, Hey, write me a note and then she'll <laughs> write me a note and I'll still forget to look at the board and read the note. <laughs> So it's one of the things that it's, it's very tough. And the main thing that you need is you need that support at home. Yeah. My wife is amazing. She's my second one, but she's the best one. Uh, she supported it completely. She helped out. She actually worked at the store for the first few years and, uh, helped me get it going. Nice. Um, you know, we worked great together. Uh, it's just, you know, she's at home. She's taking care of everything there. You know, she's taking care of all the laundry. She's when I get home, she's got dinner ready. You know, she's making sure the boy gets to school. You know, she's dealing with all that there while I'm dealing with everything on the business side of it. So, you know, you got to have that strong support at home. Now, my first wife, I would have never had that in my life. That's why my dreams of owning a business were always nothing more than a dream. So, you know, I didn't have that kind of support to where if I decided to do this and I got to work 24 hours a day, my first wife would have had nothing to do with that, you know. So, you know, having that that support at home uh, is tremendous. Uh, So that first three years, that dedication is got to be massive. And a lot of people, and, you know, and I don't know this for a fact or anything, it's just my opinion of it, is that in that first three years, they realize that that dedication, they don't have that. They don't have that support at home. They don't, they can't commit that much time to it. Uh, I think a lot of people, and I had this misconception too, was when I go into business, I can just take off whenever I want to. It does not work that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a hundred percent. It's all the time. It's, you know, constant. Yep. It's all day. It's all night. I mean, middle of the night, the alarm goes off. They're calling me, you know, you know, it might've been a squirrel running across the grass <laughs> or something that set the alarm off, you yep. know? So yep. it's, it, it's a never ending thing and yeah. it does not end. Um, now, as we've got and further down the road, I've got a very good staff um, that I can trust and everything. So now I can take a day off every once in a while. And I say a day off every once in a while, I'm talking one day every two weeks. So, you know, it's, it's one of the things that we're, you know, even though I'm not there, occasionally I'll get a call, you know, saying, you know, there's a situation that come up and because I'm the, you know, I'm the expert there. I'm the one that knows everything about the system. I'm the one that helped build the PO or built the POS system. Um, you know, so I'm the one with all the answers now, you know, if it's something complicated, they call me and I, you know, I, I don't, you know, turn them down at all. You know, I understand what's going on and, you know, I take the call, I'll talk them through it. We'll get through it. Um, and I would rather them do that than try to figure it out and make a mistake. So it's one of them things that, you know, you just got to, you got to have the, you got to have the team at the shop, you got to have strong support at home and you got to be ready to commit a hundred percent for a long time. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So what about, this is a perfect segue to this next question then. So what advice would you give then 
to an aspiring entrepreneur. So if somebody reached out to you and said, Kevin, gosh, you are insanely successful and I'm just starting out with my entrepreneurial journey, what tips and tricks and advice would you have for someone in that situation? And um, I would say anybody can do it. And anybody can do it. It really can. Uh, but you got to have the dedication to do it. Um, my best advice is to make sure that you have that support. Uh, you got to have the support at home. You got to have, you know, kind of some kind of a structure for the business you're going into. And you got to be ready to commit. And, um, you know, it's it's one of the things that where, you know, they have most people have that misconception of, you know, I'll be my own boss. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. It's not that easy. Self-discipline is massive in this. Um, nobody's there to tell me to get up and go to work. Nobody's there that says you have to stay here all day. Nobody's there saying you got to do this or you got to do that. I mean, I have to go in there and I know what my job is and I have to get it done. There's nobody telling me that I need to get it done and I need to get it done on time. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a lot of self-discipline. It's, you know, that motivation that, you know, getting up and going to work every day that, you know, I, well, man, I don't want to do this paperwork today. Well, I got to do this paperwork today. So you got to be your own <laughs> boss and boss yourself around and make yourself do those things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, a lot of people, you know, they don't have that, that mindset yet, but they can get it. Um, and you know, it's just like, you know, I've had people ask me, you know, how did you do it? Or, you know, how, you know, how did you do it and everything? And I was like, it's hard work. It's that simple. You got to work hard and anybody can do it. It's just, you gotta have, you gotta have a work hard. Um, yes, financially, you know, it does help to have the money to do it. Uh, but you know, it, it's the drive, it's the, you know, commitment it's, you know, and it's not just something that's going to be, you know, a year down the road and I'm going to be on vacation in Tahiti all week. Uh, yeah. it, it's, it's a commitment because now it's not just me anymore. It's, I have 10 employees and those 10 employees have families and, you know, they're all relying on me to keep this running, to keep their paychecks, to keep their families fed and housed and everything else. Mm -hmm. So the responsibility as you get bigger increases because if I make a mistake and something that happens and we shut down, I got 10 families that now are out on the street. So, and as we get bigger, it's going to go to, you know, 15, 20 families, 50, hundred families. Mm -hmm. So now once you get, you know, bigger, there's that more responsibility. So you yep. got to have to make sure that you're ready to commit and get that done. Yeah, man. So, so you, you talked about structure and holding yourself accountable. That's something that as I continue to grow myself personally on this entrepreneurial journey that I'm on is finding different ways to hold myself accountable. And how do I structure my day? I struggled with this when I first left my corporate job and doing my own thing, because there was nobody to tell me, Hey, get up, get out of, get out of bed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, get your work done. So how did, how did, how do you go about structuring your days such that you're holding yourself accountable. And maybe it's different now that you're a little bit bigger, you have 10 employees, that there may be more. But when you first started, how did you go about doing all of that? Oh, that was my drive for success. Um, I, I don't like failure. I didn't want to fail. I wanted to succeed. I wanted to make this what it is. I wanted to prove to the world that I could do this. And that's what I told myself every day. 
And I mean, yeah, there's days I didn't want to get out of bed. I mean, there's I'm just tired. I just, you know, I can't do this no more. Um, but it's, it's just, you know, I would think back and I want to do this. I want to prove that I can do this and I want to make this successful. And just, you know, just having that inside of you, that kind of a motivation um, that wasn't there for me 15 years ago. Uh, I didn't have that kind of motivation. Um, a lot of it came from my wife now. Um, we we have the, a great relationship. I love her to death. Um, it's just seeing her and, you know, wanting to do better, striving to do better. Um, honestly, 10 years ago, I was dead broke, living paycheck to paycheck, didn't have a dime to my name, hardly. Um, uh, we were going to food banks to get food. Uh, we had six kids at home, me and her. We came to Florida in 2008 for a job. Uh, I got laid off six months after I came to Florida. So I went from, you know, an $80,000 a year salary working corporate America, you know, to nothing. Uh, unemployment. Man, Florida's unemployment ain't nothing to brag about. So, it, you know, it, that's when I was at the bottom. And I fought. I did whatever I could. I took whatever job I could to strive to feed six kids, me and her. Um, things played out. I had the opportunity to go back to school with the VA. You know, the, they were willing to send me to college. So I took advantage of that. Uh, the veteran benefits helped me a bunch and boosted me. Um, so it just, you know, having that drive to, you know, I've already been to the bottom. Now I want to see what the top looks like. Yeah, man. So, you know, it's, I, I won't let myself fail. Uh, I'll do everything I can within my abilities to make sure that, you know, I succeed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at the same point, I got to make sure I get out of bed in the morning. I got to make sure that, you know, I do what I got to do at work. I got to make sure that I, you know, do those, do the paperwork or, you know, I'm, I'm the one that does payroll. Nobody else does payroll. Nobody gets paid, you know? So I do a lot of things. I wear a lot of hats. And as we're growing, I'm, a, I'm able to kind of, you know, have some of my other staff take care of a lot of the, you know, the stuff, the medial stuff and everything else like that kind of ease my burden some, but I still keep control over it. I still oversee it. So when it, we first opened, I was working in the store. I was the one, you know, helping the customers just like everybody else. So now as we've been growing and getting bigger and busier, I'm letting my staff run the store and I'm overseeing the store. I'm making sure all the products are ordered on time because we're ordering, you know, 10, 20 times the product that we used to five years ago when we first started. Mm -hmm. So my role has become more of, you know, the general manager now overseeing it. Now, if we get busy, I'm out on the floor selling guns just like everybody else. You know, if, you know, we, you know, time to put guns up. If we're shorthanded, I'm out there helping put guns up. Doesn't happen a lot, you know, because I've got other things that, I need to do, but if I need to do something on the floor, I'm there to do it. Gotcha. So what about when times get hard, when turbulent times do happen? I mean, how do you stay confident and push forward? Well, that's a good question. Um, it's, it's just that drive to succeed. It's just not giving up. Yeah, man. It's, you know, yeah, times you're going to hit hard times. You're going to hit hard times all the you know we're going into a recession right now everybody's seeing it it's it's going to happen 
Um, we don't know what exactly is going to happen. We don't know how it's going to turn out, but it's one of them things where, you know, no matter what happens, I got to try to do my best to get through this. So, you know, if we drop in sales a whole bunch, you know, I will have to make adjustments. You know, those adjustments may be, you know, ordering less material, you know, shorter hours on the store. Um, you know, and I hate to say it, but, you know, if it was uh, laying off employees, you know, if I have to cut staff, I have to cut expenses back. Um, there's some things you just can't cut, you know, you can't cut the electric bill, you know, you can't cut how much your licenses cost every year. It's, you know, there's certain things you can't cut, but there are things that you can control. Yeah. So you just got to keep an eye on like expenditures and your, you know, your budget and, you know, your operating expenses and know in your mind what things you can cut if you need to cut. Yes, sir. And, uh, so that way, if something does happen, that doesn't, you know, work out or, you know, you hit a hard time, you know how to how to pull back the reins and slow everything down a little bit to ensure that the company survives. Awesome. I love it. So, Kevin, we'll start winding things down here a little bit. Are there any topics that we didn't cover that you'd like to touch on or maybe something that we did cover that you want to go back and dig a little deeper on? Ooh. I think you covered about everything. Um, <laughs> uh, just, you know, main things about, you know, entrepreneurship is, you know, you have to have the drive. You have to have support. And uh, without those two things, um, it, it just won't work. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I love it, man. So we'll end this with what I call my two quick question round. I have two final quick questions for you. So question number one, how would you define the word entrepreneur? Uh, well, I would uh, define it as an adventure. Uh, and it is, it's a journey. It's, uh, you start out and you have nothing but an idea and you turn it into something, um, you know, and not everybody's journey is the same. Not everybody's journey is successful. Uh, but the thing about it is, is even if it's not successful, we can always start over. So, you know, for me, it's, it's an adventure. Love it. So final question, question number two, how would you define the word success? Success is very loosely in my definition. Um, I don't look for one major success. I look for smaller successes. Um, when you are successful at shorter periods of time, it makes you happier. So, uh, the first success was getting the store open. Uh, the next one was getting the range open. Uh, the next one was when we hit, you know, a thousand customers. The next one was when we hit 5,000 customers. Um, so it's success is an ongoing thing. Um, right now, you know, I'll tell you when my next success is when I hit it. Cause I really don't know <laughs> what it is right now. Yeah. Um, now <laughs> success is just to me is being, you know, you're achieving those small goals. You're getting along in life. You're, you know, you're, you're excelling, you're going up, you're not going down. Um, now there might be some downturns, which does not mean it's unsuccessful. That just means that we had a little bit of trouble and we got to do better the next time. Um, now I don't have a, you know, if I get to this point, I'm a successful person. Um, I'm always striving to be better. So to me, uh, the definition of success is to make yourself better. 
I love it. So, so Kevin, how can people find you? Uh, website, social media stuff, phone numbers, just plug all your stuff. Yeah, uh, well, we do. Uh, we got the store in Dade City. Uh, we have a website, westarmory.com. Uh, we are on Facebook, uh, and Twitter is westarmoryfl. Okay. Um, let's see. We have... Uh, text message marketing that you can sign up for i think that's on our website um we i think that's about all that we do right now we're we're talking about doing our own youtube channel and some instructional videos and things like that so that's kind of in the works um but uh yeah just uh, we're we don't do like a big online store and online shipping because you don't get that personable feeling sure. uh, get calls every day you know i can't see nothing on online you know and i'm like we don't sell online so yeah we're trying to keep it local uh and things like that so. love it man love it all right kevin well thanks a lot for being here this has been a fantastic interview um and everyone else thanks a lot for tuning in if you've enjoyed the show then please share it around so others can join in as well the best way for new listeners to find the show is for our current listeners to talk about us follow us on facebook at taob podcast give us a like drop us a comment and don't forget to leave a five-star review it really does help us out i'm your host eric baker and this has been another episode of the art of business bye for now